that that piece of data should live in the in the control in the governance of the users instead of li live under Facebook or Twitter, right? I'm Rudy Dogum, and this is Wholesome Crypto. Here, I speak with crypto experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs to find out what personally led them to the path of cryptocurrency. Today's guest is Ryan Lee, co-founder of CyberConnect, a publicly accessible and decentralized social graph protocol that returns data ownership and utilities back to Web3 users. Welcome, Ryan, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you. Thank you, Rudy, for having me. Of course. And... Uh, we all know you from co-founding CyberConnect, a uh, social protocol in Web3, and we're going to definitely dive deep into that. But before we get into that, I still kind of want to learn more about Ryan and what was he doing before ever even hearing about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency? Yeah, uh, I got into crypto 2017, right in my last year at college. Mm-hmm. So before crypto was the college work, and I did another startup in between uh, my freshman and sophomore year. So yeah, so I think crypto is my uh, first stuff, full-time so, gig. Wow, so right out of college, it was straight into crypto, nothing in between. No, I did two internships oh, okay. in uh, big tech, and I did my own startup before that, but okay, it's always crypto. So then, um, were you a developer? Is that what you studied, CS, or...? Yeah, I did my I did my CS, uh, which was a double E N C S at Berkeley. Nice. That's where I learned some of the uh, Bitcoin stuff, doing some hackathons, playing around with Coinbase APIs back in 2014, and then kind of got me into learning a little bit more in 2017, early 2017. Played around with uh, all different exchanges. Played around with other. Back then was some uh, weird shitcoin that no longer exists, I would assume. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I got in. Nice. And you always had that entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, right? From the companies you've started, because I know you've co-founded SketchMe, DLive, and others. So was that something that ran in your family, this trying to start companies? Or was that kind of just something that you had in you? It was never in the family. Uh, yeah, my parents always wanted me to be a doctor. <laughs> Didn't turn out their way. I, yeah, I think it's when I was in high school, around high school time, I was just like super into coding. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of iOS apps when iOS was cool. Like when iOS was it was it seven or like six, it just came out like it was super cool. People were just building iOS apps. And I did a bunch of those in high school. And then that's where, where it got me to co-found SketchMe, which is a social app which I mainly focus on building the iOS app. And it was a social app that's similar to Snapchat. We launched mm -hmm. in Berkeley and Stanford my first my, my first year at college. Yeah, so that's like everything from that on is always building startups. Nice. And it seems like you have a knack for social platforms or social companies. So what is it about that type of industry that intrigues you? Yeah, I think there are a couple aspects to it. Uh, well, first of all, I've definitely genuinely feel the the connection as being very supportive. Like my connection to uh, to the the folks around me, my friends, my families are always super supportive. Those like those are uh, always what I cherish. And starting from, I I got to know a lot of uh, great friends just from like Twitter back in very early days. So um, I don't know. It just it just happened to be that I'm always building in the social area. Want to improve on what we're using, right? Like we mm -hmm. we kind of we're always stuck with those like a handful of social apps, 
so I came from I came from China as well. So we we have like I have a more more than a handful, probably like two or three more apps, and people are exposed in the US. But yeah. it's still the it's still the handful of apps that's that's been around forever. And you just like I just never post stuff almost anymore. But I remember I used to be so much more active just mm-hmm. because of the community that we have, because of all the different tools that we have. So I think it's just along the way I wanted to bring some of that back and just have those like genuine real connection with folks that you found in in real life make them really accessible in different applications gotcha that makes sense because yeah exactly it's the whole point of a social network it's just to connect people especially especially if you're an immigrant it makes a lot of sense to you just because you have so many friends and family that's distant and you want to see you want to be as close to them as possible without you know as best as you can without actually physically being there so those platforms do help in those situations and now that, yeah, so you were building these social platforms, but when you heard about crypto and Bitcoin, was it like almost, oh yeah, the most logical step is crypto? Was it just naturally common sense to you or was it, did it take you a while to believe in it or understand it? It was, it was definitely not natural. <laughs> I got, I first heard of uh, Bitcoin through the Coinbase API where we had been, yeah, I went to this hackathon mm-hmm. at Berkeley with a bunch of my friends. And then we played around with this Coinbase API and we actually built a text somebody to send them a Bitcoin. So a Bitcoin API with, with Twilio. Oh, cool. Very, yeah. very interesting back then. And we had like, at least to me, I had no idea what Bitcoin was. I thought it was just like something that's similar to Venmo. And you're trying to send it to people. <laughs> yeah. Well, it turned it turned out my the, the buddy that I went with, uh, went to the hackathon with, he was the one who launched the first blockchain class back at Berkeley. And then he and nice. his buddy, he, he and his buddy built a blockchain at Berkeley, which is probably one of the best known uh, campus-based blockchain clubs. So yeah, that was the whole experience. It, doesn't, it definitely didn't come natural. Otherwise, I would be probably the founder of a blockchain at Berkeley or something. <laughs> uh, it, took, it took me three years to get around. And was I was finally really amazed by when I really got into the, the, the design, like, just hmm. how the uh, read, just reading the Bitcoin white paper really, that's where it really changed how I see things. I just found it intellectually interesting. Nothing really about the community or anything at that point, but it's just super interesting. Yeah. And I'm sure during that time, like 2017, you said that's around the time you heard of it. Yep. That time it was, again, pretty um, big on mainstream media for Ethereum and like ICOs. And all this money being transferred around so fast, so quickly to different ICO companies that would either just rug pull back in that day or, yeah. you know, create something good. Um, but have you, what was your interaction with that in the mainstream media, I guess, just like hearing it on online or on uh, news networks? Were you even, uh, was I even catching your attention at all? Yeah, I think I was, I got in deeper before the mainstream Mm-hmm. media back then caught up so it was like probably early very early 2017 mm-hmm. and probably the, the the news came out when like they did the is it bitcoin hash bch that came out or like the yeah. other like forks that came out uh, in the summer of 2017 bsv and or then, something like that yeah bsv exactly and i remember i was like, speculating on oh the fork probably would dump well like capture <laughs> part of bitcoin's price and the whole thing was just like totally against my 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 sense like i have no idea why it was going up but yeah that was uh that was my like exposure i did 
yeah, I did play around with those uh, those different applications. Uh, some of the mainstream uh, news picked up, I think. Nice. And then, so yeah, I mean, that's pretty awesome because you were dabbling in that space without even really fully understanding its potential. And it's important to get an early start because like, it's, it's really hard to catch up now, especially. But I mean, there's obviously a lot more tools that help out new developers come into the space and become Solidity devs or, uh, you know, having their full stack skill sets to help them inter- integrate with blockchain. Yeah. And, and for you, you were in this space, you've had some uh, experience building social networks and platforms. You've, uh, you've had some success with that. Now, what, what was a triggering point or the turning point of your life where you're saying, oh, we need to build a social protocol on Web3 now? This is the time. Yeah, I think, I think there are a couple of triggers. One was my, I mean, 2017, that, that was uh, when I got into really learning crypto. And at the second half of 2017, we started, uh, I co-founded a company called DLife and mm-hmm. Lino Blockchain. So we were just looking at how do we monetize, how do we help content creators monetize without going through an ad? We got super inspired by Steemit, which was one of the very early uh, projects in the crypto space. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like for those who don't know steam it it's a forum with voting and some some kind of token reward so we just set out and want to build something in that in that realm but in our regards better than steam it mm-hmm. and that's why we built you know blockchain and we built a, a live streaming platform on top of that to help those content creators monetize and why specifically about con- about live streaming was well first of all Back then, 2017, 2018, a lot of the YouTubers and Twitch streamers got demonetized, got deplatformed. Yeah. We just found out, and there was a a, a gun sh- gun shooting event happened at YouTube's headquarter where one of the YouTuber just were not happy with getting demonetized by yeah. YouTube. But those were like a lot of triggers that we found. Well, this is this centralization, especially on the distributing channel, which really controls people's livelihood is getting out of control and yeah. that's where we wanted to build in that in that space but back then we built our own platform we never thought about what if those users actually or those content creators actually own their social channel or own their distribution so that if one day twitter or twitch or youtube shut them down they can still bring their audience to a different platform mm-hmm. that was never the case before and so 20 so that so d live and Lino got acquired in 2020, we uh, we stayed. I uh, got a car at BitTorrent. I stayed at BitTorrent for a year and a half. Nice. Um. Afterwards, when we got into Web3 again, t- early 2021, I was just looking around, was thinking, yeah, we did help a lot of content creators monetize. We had those uh, great relationship with them. What can we build? And then that was like the time I was like, yeah, a lot of those social connection, those distribution channel, those people never truly own their fans. And me, I never truly own my friend, my the, my social graph yeah. on any of those platforms. So, yeah, that's why. And we just we, we've just seen a lot of innovation happen in Web three. So much is different. Exactly. And then people are still like people are, like developers are still having a hard time to store those. Like, what if I want to add a social button, like a follow follow button in my app? They still have to spin up their own servers. Still have to store that mm-hmm. locally in their own backend. It's Everything against the ethos of a, of, a, of a Web3 app, right? Like you never want to store a token on your own backend server. You always yeah. want to build a token contract. You always want to utilize what people has in their wallet. Yeah. So, and, and how is uh, 
because yeah exactly you're right especially now with web3 nfts the idea of a community is growing insanely fast there's a lot of communities sub communities just you know enjoying each other however however that is and you know and cyber connect is building a way where any community can talk with any community and any blockchain on any community can talk with each other and and how how is and how is the tech working behind the scenes to enable that those actions yeah so to, to explain the tag, I think we have to first talk about what are the design decisions that we made. So yeah. We want to make sure that those social connections are truly owned by the users. When I say own, it's that that piece of data should live in the in the control, in the governance of the users instead of live, live under Facebook or Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, me following, following Rudy Yu on, on Twitter doesn't mean that I actually own that data. Like Twitter can one day take away my account or they can take away my following or they can just like add whatever they want me to follow. I can be, I, I, I could be actually following like yeah. tens of thousands of users. Those are, those actions are never authorized by myself. And that piece of data was never representative of me authorizing such an action. So first of all, we want to make sure that those data are self-sovereign, actually owned by user. And then we want to make sure that those data are portable and also blockchain agnostic. So it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be live, living on one blockchain. Yeah. Exactly. Because, because we, I, I think we're approaching a world where really act, activities will happen on different blockchains, depending on what type of stuff you might want to engage in. So we want to be blockchain agnostic and be compatible with all of them. So that's, that kind of leads to the architecture design. So everything behind the scene about CyberConnect, everything that user like, when a user click a follow button that's powered by CyberConnect, user actually sign that piece of data with their own controlled private key, put that data on Ceramic and IPFS. So that data lives in the not on chain, but also, but always verifiable and available data source, mm-hmm. which is super cost efficient. And also with Ceramic and IPFS, that data is also composable with other data. Yeah. So that's the basic design of CyberConnect on the user-owned social graph module part. We do have another part I can dig in more, but I can I can give a brief example. The other part is the social data network, which we index all different data sources, like my only of uh, a DAO token or my only of such an NFT that puts me into a group of users, giving me that implicit connection with others. We, in, we, we index them and we put them into a giant graph and do really interesting recommendation for the developers. like. Developers can ask, give me when when a user signs up, give me all the all all the users that might closely that might just relate to this guy because yeah. they hold the same NFT or because we went to the same POAP event before. Give those smart recommendations. That's the other part of the CyberConnect protocol. So now if someone's living on Solana or Algorand or something like that, and I'm living on Ethereum, if there's two if there's a web application, web three application where it's another social network, I'll be able to see who the person like on a Solana network is following. And if I follow them, I can see who they're following and what network networks they live on and kind of get understanding that, oh, this person has a huge community base that lives in Algorand, but they mainly use Solana and they have some friends on Ethereum. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's exactly what we might be seeing down the road, right? People have, have different activities and different preferences for within blockchain. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's definitely needed. And, I, and I've seen a lot of that, I think, start coming up. I know, yeah, CyberConnect is a, 
is building this and i think there are some competitors and i kind of want to know you know how are you setting yourself different from any competition that might be coming up yeah as i said like two the two approach that we 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 did like the two design decisions that we made in yeah. the first place well first of all being self-sovereign which pretty much means it has to live on somewhere that's cryptographically protected mm-hmm. and then on this on the second is blockchain agnostic right so we don't want to build our own layer one, which is some what, what some other protocols might be doing. Mm-hmm. So we don't build our own layer one blockchain. And then we don't want to be specifically leave, living on top of one blockchain in terms of being their smart contract. So that kind of differentiates us from some of the block uh, smart contract based approach. Gotcha. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's awesome. And I know you've been living in this space now for some time and working in it almost exclusively. How are you? enjoying it so far i mean I, it's different than a traditional job you know it's not there's no on and off time for crypto it's always running it's always on there's always someone somewhere in the world asking you something <laughs> so you know on the side of crypto how are you uh how are you enjoying your day how how are you, you know, keeping yourself sane are you or is crypto the most <laughs> sane thing for you like for personally because I, I need some downtime from crypto I need some other extracurricular activities, just reading or <laughs> hobbies or playing guitar, something else sometimes. How do you keep yourself busy outside of crypto? Yeah, um, I think that's a, that's a good question <laughs> you should ask like every founder. I try to give them some time to reflect on what I've done in this industry, right? Like yeah. people, are getting, people are getting really, really into, and I have been really into the, like I'm, I've been in this rabbit hole for five years now, uh, almost always, almost always on. But I think something that kept me sane was like I I I am I'm, I'm married. I have a wife. I have a, I have a we have a dog. We we, we like to take those those. Thank you. We do we we, we do like to take those downtimes, if especially doing the doing especially I don't yeah I generally don't work on Saturday if if I if I have the choice I would <laughs> love to take take a day off and just just go out with my with my wife and hopefully that works out in the long run. But currently, like some of the Saturdays are are still are also the same time as some crypto events, which yeah, is exactly kind of <laughs> taking out those Saturdays. It's tough. It totally is tough because, like, yeah, exactly. Like, there is no weekend for crypto. It's uh, it's always going. And I mean, it's like with anything new. You, it's exciting. It's fun. There's millions of people getting on top of it. So a lot of energy in the space fast and i think it's gonna take some time for it to feel normal because i don't think it's i mean maybe for for you it's almost normal because it's all again like it's how you've been working for a while now but it's still hard to like digest even if it feels normal but say if there if you never you know crypto never interested you or never got your engines going what would you be doing other than working in the crypto industry how would you see yourself today if you never fell in love with the blockchain well, maybe I'll be working. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I think I would still probably be a founder somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I would probably be hustling away with some something else, but probably not twenty four seven because yeah. you probably won't be working with a, a Twitter a Twitter community that's as as wild as as what we have here. Good old crypto Twitter. Um, I was always, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, also the, the the quality and the content are just getting way better now. It's like hard to ignore. Mm-hmm. On, on Twitter side, right? Like, uh, that's a different, a total 
whole different topic. But if I were not in, if we're not in crypto, probably, probably be doing something in the consumer industry anyway. So I love, I, I just love building product for for users. Now I'm more helping other developers building product for their users. But I'm, I've all, I've always been super into helping or just changing some part of people's life in some positive way. Nice. And you're a full stack dev, right? I am. What do you enjoy more? Front end, back end? Architect? Not gonna lie. I I mean I, I I I'm really bad at uh I'm really bad at front end. <laughs> I, I cannot do I cannot do CSS. It's just, that's that's just me. I just cannot do CSS. If someone gives you a picture or a diagram, make me this and make it look like this you probably could make that happen so the design portion or is it maybe not anymore <laughs> i might be able to do that with my because we last the last company i did with my co-founder it was the two of us i was the only one who can code so basically i just had to learn everything front and back end i did i, I did as you said like somebody gave me a diagram figure out how to make it work do a bunch of css magic which yeah. i wish I never learned and I just don't know any of them now. So so I don't I don't think I can I don't so if they give me a diagram, probably I just give them something back that's like that does not look anything at all. But with all the data there, maybe that's something I can do. I mean exactly because I'm definitely more of a I mean I'm not a developer by like any means in terms of like intermediary. I'm probably, I'm pretty novice, but I mean I, I've always enjoyed more of the back end of things just because it seemed more straightforward, even though technically, if I look at front end development, it's right. It's visually appealing. Like you make something, you visually see it immediately, which I don't know. I guess that was never for me, but yeah, I, I can definitely feel you on that one. <laughs> yeah. I started out, I started out as an iOS developer, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and I worked at, I worked at uh, Instagram as their iOS developer, which was like, right like i did write those uh some of the front end stuff especially around the, the stories and stuff it was it was fun but then i don't know i uh, i think back in especially the infrastructure really captured me yeah so dragged me away so um now that again you're in this space you've seen a lot you've heard a lot spoke to a lot of different people what's a crypto pet peeve that you have what's a what's a pet peeve <laughs> So a pet peeve meaning like uh, something that slightly irritates you about the industry or you wish you can change. So I go for my example. Uh, pet peeve for me is how much people talk about cryptocurrency in terms of its monetary fiat value. I mean, obviously it's great. Everybody wants to make money. It's great for, it's a good trading asset, but I see the potential a lot, you know, a lot larger potential than just making higher fiat number because in the end goal for me it's going to replace fiat it's not going to be you know oh it's four thousand dollars for ethereum now it's going to be one ethereum is one ethereum one bitcoin is one bitcoin and it's going to we're going to start speaking and only buy that coffee for half uh one ethereum or like one sat i don't know whatever it is but like <laughs> for me it's more of like I, I really love the tech i love the communities love the people behind it and the trading talk, financial advice is just hurting more people than helping. Yeah, I I share some of that. I think the biggest one was like always for me. It's like the mis the, the mismatch of the information that's shared in in the people who like among the people who actually works in in the industry versus the the information that that got shared around mm-hmm. on, on on some of the media, right? Like I'm 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 like the, the talk about environmental damage or impact. The talk mm-hmm. about 
how corrupt the whole thing is, how everything is about money laundering and and illegal stuff. It kind of makes like the only thing that really bothers me is like when I when my mom I tell my mom I told my mom I was working <laughs> in crypto back in 2017. She was like, okay, um, I I don't think she was super happy, but then. Whenever, whenever she saw any news that's related, that yeah. only related to crypto, she always sent sent me those like, you should try to get yourself out of there, right? <laughs> it's, it's dangerous. Like, yeah, and, and and I was telling her like those are it's not what it, those are not what you would see from the inside, and and even if they were, they were like not related to me at all, and also, it's that's super right. hard to hire people. And back in twenty seventeen, it's even harder. Like people, mm-hmm. like now we have this better web web three. Back then, it was only blockchain and crypto, and both of them are just pretty much banned words. Like people just don't talk about them when, if they're legit. So if a legit developer, they won't talk to you about they won't talk to you about crypto or blockchain. They're kind of avoiding those two words. But Web three makes everything a lot cooler. So I guess that's that's the benefit of uh, being in this industry. Like this industry really growing out more than what it started with. <laughs> exactly, and it's, that's a really common thing I hear too. Is just uh, money laundering, buying drugs online. It's like, uh, I mean, you can do that with cash. You can do that with anything, really. If you you can buy drugs with a boat if you really wanted to. So I don't know. It was never a good enough um, argument in my case. So yeah, I definitely agree with you too. So right now, yeah, you, you guys are working on CyberConnect. And how is that currently going in terms of roadmap? How are you? Uh, station right now how how is development going how is your team feeling how's your community feeling and how do you expect you what do you uh, see for yourselves in the near future yeah um i think that's a that's a good question we should definitely think more as well mm-hmm. uh i i put in a lot of time thinking about what are uh what are the general um roadmaps for ourselves and what are the general trends coming up uh not because I care about the trends, but really a lot That's of those important. movements have, I mean, those movements happen in a community driven way. So you have to have those uh, ideology or, I mean, NFT didn't ca- catch up until really recently. Um, and I definitely misjudged it back in 2017. So we want to be, we want to be like social. We kind of feel like it's a very early day of uh, what NFT looked like when CryptoKitty was just launched. I remember Hopefully that. Hopefully that's the thing. <laughs> I, I look at <laughs> kitties. I'm like, why? Okay, going to breed them to make different CryptoKitties. I, I mean, it's cool. It's fun. I always like appreciate fun little projects on blockchain. Like, oh, look what we can build. But again, it goes back to the value of it. I'm like, what? How? Yeah. Why? Yeah. But I yeah. don't know. <laughs> that's just me. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so we... I, at least I kind of think we are at that stage of all the all, all the social and Web3 related stuff. So it's definitely early. We want to be there with everyone who's building in there. So mm-hmm. that's where the whole the whole mission and the whole roadmap for us is really helping onboard the next generation of all the developers and through them onboard because everybody have their mission of onboarding another millions of billions of, of, of users into Web3. So we want to be there for those developers when be, be their best tooling, be their best infrastructure provider mm-hmm. uh, so that they, when they build social-related social applications, they always opt in for CyberConnect. It's just super easy for them to um, to, to, to onboard their users, super easy to, for them to uh, leverage all the uh, dev tools that we have out there. 
so yeah, the roadmap for for us in the foreseeable future, which is uh, half a year to a year, is really onboarding more developers. We so far are in the process. So we launched the protocol about three four months ago, and uh, and later half of November last year was built on Ceramic, built on IPFS, everything looking very pretty. Uh, we onboarded about 150,000 users nice. through our own demo app. We have a front-end demo app that kind of demonstrates to our developers how what can be built with CyberConnect. It was also like a very simple profile app. Um, and we onboarded about now about 40, 50 developers. Um, uh, definitely a bunch of them come, coming from our hackathons. So we'll be keeping keep doing hackathons and doing those uh, community-driven approaches and we do have a, uh, a decent amount of uh, really good developers coming to us and say how can we leverage CyberConnect to improve their user experience improve their product and we just want to build with them and that's the thing because yeah you're building a protocol so it's a product that end users will be on but not necessarily be not every end user is going to build it's going it's it's a pro it's a protocol meant for developers who are building for consumers and that's a tough sell because I've never um, experienced that type of industry where it's a B to developers. <laughs> yeah, I for first time first time doing this too. Uh, I've I've had so much so so much uh, fortune before that really building like those are really fortunate moments for me. Like building product that really help end user like end end consumer. Mm -hmm. Like for the, the the live streaming platform that we built, we delivered millions of uh, revenue revenue to those streamers to the content creators which was like really satisfying That's so satisfying too i my bet yeah yeah hopefully we can deliver those to our developers and through their eyes and through their joy we can see how they really change the web3 scene and how they help their their users uh yeah through 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 a little bit of help from us mm -hmm. and yeah i mean I mean, as a developer yourself, I'm sure you'd also understand what would be nice to have as if you were a developer who was using a protocol that would need something just like this for their platform. So that's definitely helpful. And so again, you're in this space for a while. Um, is there anything that you recommend to new college graduates, people who are in college still, people who are attending hackathons? These are things that you experienced building businesses. So say if I was about to graduate and I'm loving bitcoin loving crypto but i don't know how to get into it what would you recommend to me and how to get started yeah i've been i've been actually giving out uh, i've been asked about this question for, for a lot and we're onboarding a lot of interns mm -hmm. so kind of giving them some guides on that uh a couple of sources i think that that's like super helpful regardless of whether whether you're a developer or not i think are uh one one there's a uh, podcast by andreessen horowitz they're a 16 days podcast on Spotify was about the oral history of cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. I can't remember the exact title, but it's a, it's a that that one was like a super good uh, intro introduction to why does this matter and why how Bitcoin became Bitcoin in the first place, like replacing uh, those uh, other peer to peer uh, peer to peer money uh money transfer solutions yep. with with the with the innovation of like uh proof of work and how did that tie together to what's what we're like seeing like the the global computing machine with com with commitment that what like that's what chris always said like a commitment enabled compute machine that's ethereum or other layer ones 
so that's a good that's always a good read like that's good that's good audio uh to to listen to and then the other one would be uh just uh reading up on some of the re- reading lists like gabby's reading list or like uh, andrews and horowitz uh mm-hmm. canon yeah i think those like philosophical ideas and somewhat technical backgrounds are always necessary to understand why this movement matters and for the technical folks well just get get your hands dirty just <laughs> start building right? just start building uh build whatever you want like just come up with crazy ideas and uh, there are a ton of interesting projects to build nowadays, like with in terms of different areas, there's NFT stuff, there's DAO, there's um, just like a lot of stuff. And also, yeah, if you if, if there's any developer listening to this, we are we are hiring and we are doing hackathons. Awesome. So please, please just follow us on, on Twitter and maybe we can join one of the hackathons as your starting point. Exactly. That's the best way to get started too is because you get your hands dirty and you move quick and your mind's on fire for this that short time, but totally a great learning experience. Yep. Um, so one of my favorite last questions to ask is, what is your favorite wholesome crypto moment? Something in the crypto industry that kind of warmed your heart, made you smile, made you feel good, gave you a new light in this, <laughs> new hope in this industry? Yeah, I would I would say this is like super personal. This this was what actually happened. Like like what I said, like where we helped out a lot of uh, streamers back in, uh, back in my last startup. Mm-hmm. Super personal. Uh, I'm super proud of it. I would just I just tell everybody about it. So back at uh, uh, D Live and Lino, what we were what we started out was really trying to help people monetize. Right, uh, people are not getting enough monetization from youtube or from signing up twitch like you can start your twitch stream but you are not getting monetized enough you're 70 yeah. percent of the donations are taken away almost around 70 percent are taken oh, away wow. anyway, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah and and then you always run the risk of not really owning those distributing channels as i said so back then we built everything on our blockchain we built out this decentralized uh live streaming platform and one thing that just came to me was uh, there were people we supported a lot of those people. There were there was one uh, guy from I can't remember which country was he from, but he was he was just experiencing a a, a brain tumor. He wow. just had a, his the surgery done, and the whole cost is covered by by all the stream the the earning he got from uh, from from DeFi from our platform. The reason for that being so powerful wow. is. It was a, a global. It was a global crypto community, a global payment channel that he was never able to reach. It's just like a lot of the great NFT artists happen to be in those uh, developing countries where they they're just having a really hard time monetizing. But crypto gave them the, the ability to have this borderless way of showing appreciation and showing the love for their work. That's what happened to to us back in 2019, which was just like those moments that I just can't cannot forget like uh, i think awesome. that's yeah those are the reasons why why i just really love building this space well, another one was a, a girl from mm-hmm. venezuela i i still remember and there were count, countless examples especially for a lot of the streamers back in in turkey where they don't experience the same stable uh yeah. fiat currency that we do and also they don't experience the same uh stable global uh, macroeconomic environment they just 
have this global audience, a global reach where Venezuela girl got donated about 200 bucks. I think a 200 bucks worth of, uh, of the token that we back then had. She was super happy. And yeah. that was, she just made, made a, a month's living through that stream. And wow. it's just, just, yeah, I'm just like super fortunate to see people smiling. People see like those really change people's lives in a good way. I love that. And it's beautiful because that's a, that's exactly what crypto is doing and blockchain is doing is creating a global community that can work together to support each other without having to worry about someone intervening. That's that's amazing. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And that's like, I'm excited for CyberConnect. I'm excited to grow that community. I'm excited for that to be the protocol to help out uh, other blockchains to adapt their social network and build from there. That's so awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I should have told something from CyberConnect, but we're just we're super early. We just we're just getting started. Uh, I think by the time we have an, the next conversation, I think there will be beautiful things happening on CyberConnect. Uh, we just had one developer coming to me. Nice. He was a he was a he was a kid from uh, he just graduated from from Tokyo. He moved to the to the state last year, I mm-hmm. think, and he just started building on CyberConnect, and he just shipped his product uh, wow. a week and a half ago. Uh, building on CyberConnect, and hopefully we'll see good things like those uh, happen later. Just helping out developers. I'm excited. I'm very excited for you, and yeah, I'm definitely going to keep my eye on CyberConnect, and I will. I'm, I'm excited for our next conversation in the future when it's a mainstream protocol. Thank you. Let's hope. That, I mean, we'll, we'll try to we'll try to make it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate your time tonight with me. Thank you, Rudy. See you, everyone. <laughs>